Uh, just a reminder before we start, I did forget, uh, I forgot to mention that uh, Jeff Mock leads the uh, prayer ministry, and uh, there's a number here that help with that at the end of the service. Uh, if you would take the time, you have prayer requests uh, in front of you, uh, there should be a prayer request card. If you put that in the uh, the tithing uh, the tithing plate when it comes by, they will definitely pray for you. If you'd like to participate with them in the prayer ministry, uh, feel free to join them up in the uh, in the front of the uh, of the church at the end of the service. So the reading today, uh, the scripture that's going to be handled today is going to be out of First John chapter five, uh, verse verses thirteen through fifteen. So if you would take a moment and turn there with me, First John five, verses. 13 through 15. It's the Apostle John speaking. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know what he hears us in, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Hopefully everyone is doing well. Um, as we continue in our study through the book of John, we're, we're just a handful of weeks out until we, um, we move into the Psalms for a period. We'll be in the Psalms as we uh, come into the summer before we, uh, before we turn to Genesis. Uh, we'll be studying through the, the, the book of Genesis in its, in its entirety, um, stopping again next summer to, uh, to study in the Psalms. Um, that, that approach of moving into the Psalms um, the Psalms, each one stands alone. Certainly they all go together. Wonderful place to go to see the character and the nature of God. Um, and as we all kind of tend to be floating about in the summertime, it makes sure that there's no real break in our study through through Genesis. So that's kind of the, the thought and the purpose there. Also, we like to do whole books at the time. And if we were to stop and do the, the book of Psalms at a time, I'm not sure how many of us would live through that. Um, so I know John wouldn't make it. I would have to finish. And so we are finishing the book of 1 John fairly soon. Um, you join me and we'll, we'll, we'll pray and then we'll continue through the study. Great God, we do thank you for life and breath. God, for your grace and your presence among us. We ask that you would calm our hearts and our minds and Allow us to learn from your word this morning, God, to see you freshly, perhaps to be encouraged or re-encouraged as followers. And God, if anyone in the room would not know you through your son savingly, we pray that by your grace and your mercy, you would redeem them to yourself this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, the book of 1 John, chapter 5. In 13 through, through 15, really, we see some, a certain kind of confidence in, in prayer and, and in praying, which can sound boastful, can sound prideful, but we see it encouraged in John. And we, we realize that our confidence then in, in being able to pray and being able to approach God in prayer and being able to trust that God will give to us all that we need is found in our standing before God in Christ. And then this becomes the bedrock 
of our confidence in our prayer. I'll say that again. Our confidence in our prayer, the bedrock for that, is our standing in Christ. Not anything about us, not anything about merit. It's all about the Lord. And so it's important to note that John writes about that confidence to believers. This is to people who are found in Christ, who are redeemed to God, and who have Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is not a magic recipe for getting what you want from God. This is an encouragement to those who follow after God in Christ that our prayers are heard and our prayers in accordance with God's will are granted. And so there's a a theme that John writes about in this epistle around confidence in Christ and how that confidence that we receive as Christ followers flows out in our individual lives. And we should desire to see that, that as we follow after Christ, as we are found in Christ, as we are redeemed to God, as we have the Holy Spirit in us, it gives us a certain confidence, not an arrogance or a boastful confidence, but a trusting confidence that trust puts all of our trust and all of our hope and all of our faith on God to deliver everything that we need. That's our, 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 even the faith through which our salvation flows is given to us as a gift. We have nothing to boast in and everything to be appreciative of. It's not any work of merit. It's not that there's any single person who's a follower in Christ in the room who God looked down upon and said, you know what, you're doing a pretty good job. You're, you're with me. It's all in Christ. And so we have nothing to boast about. We get to realize that he, God, is holy. Holy meaning different, completely different, foreign and alien to us, perfect in every way. He's holy. We are fallen. If you read John chapter 3, 16, 17, 18, and 19, you see that we were lovers of darkness as opposed to light. Meaning, if we were presented with two truths, the holiness of God and our own sinful, wretched desires and darkness, we would choose the darkness, not the light. That's us in our normal fallen condition. That's why all of creation groans is because of fallenness, because of us. He is holy, we are fallen. He is love, and we love darkness over light. He is timeless and eternal. We are bound by time. Our time has its beginning, and our time has its end. We're bound by time. And so then the end game of our life is not amassing stuff and things. The end game of our life is not simply getting blessings from God. Though sometimes, maybe in our heart, we feel that way. We think that all of this life is all about being even more comfortable as a believer in Christ. It's all about being blessed by God. You know, you you hear it on the radio all of the time. People just celebrating all the gushing that God does over them and that their life is so terrific because God has blessed them so wonderfully. And that can be fine, but that can also become the focus of our life. And God really becomes the the giver of gifts, and we celebrate those gifts as opposed to celebrating God himself. God is the treasure of this life. And so the end game is not things or blessings, but the end game 
is a question of our union to God and our submission to Him, and that can only come in Christ. And so then, when that is true of us, our confidence is found because of our standing before God with Christ as the bedrock of our confident prayers. That's what we'll see John encourage us to, is to be confident in our prayers, not because of us, but because of Christ. So let's look at John, 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Now, maybe you read that and you think, what are these things? He says, I write these things. So what are these things? Are they the the things that he had just talked about earlier in chapter 5? Is it earlier in the book? Is it in his gospel? Or is it the things that are going to follow? Are these the things that he writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that we may know we have eternal life? I think a key to understanding that is, is knowing that from start to finish in this epistle, John's message is very clear, which is interesting because it seems like it bops all over the place, but it's also incredibly clear. It is boppy, if you will. It does move around a lot, but it touches on all of the same subjects over and over again. One of those is that the testimony of a life in Christ bears the fruit of life in Christ. So when we have a testimony in Christ, our life bears out that similar fruit. And we talked about like tendencies of the family. If you're, a, if you're in a family, whether it's a big family or a small family, you'll have your things that your family does, and everyone is kind of sometimes confounded by them, right? Someone will say two or three words from an inside joke in the family, and everybody starts to laugh, and the people around you are deadly confused, right? Like, my family gravitates towards a handful of movies, like Megamind or Monsters, Inc. Maybe yours is different, but it bears the marks of our family. We're all entertained by similar kinds of things. And so Christian family is is similar. We start to bear the marks in a more significant way. We start to bear the marks of being rejoined to God, right? If God is love and a person in their natural state is bent towards darkness rather than light, as you become conformed into the image of Christ through the transforming of our mind through the word more and more over time, we will start to bear the marks of someone who loves the light more than the dark. And so John wants us to know that being a believer, we will start to bear the marks of a believing life. So a testimony of life in Christ bears the fruit of life in Christ. In this passage, in verse 13, John starts to speak directly to the reader. He shifts tense a little bit. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the first time he speaks in the first person like this since chapter 2 and verse 26. I would encourage you this week to read. Honestly, this is a very attainable book. You can read this book all week, but certainly be reading through the end of the chapter and you'll find John carry his themes 
out through the end of this book, through the end of chapter 21, and his aim is generally our assurance in the power of God to save in Christ. I think those are the things that he writes about. If you were to look at, at John chapter 20 and verse 31, it will come up on the screens behind me, or, or you can go there. It would be uh, left of where you are right now. If somebody can help Adam real quick find that. Tammy, thanks. John chapter 20, verse 31 reads like this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, have life in his name. He's working towards a similar end in the book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John 1.4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In chapter 2 and verse 1 of 1 John, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so verse 13 then is written to this specific group of people who have a testimony in Christ before God. And in doing so, he, he limits the scope to those people who believe in the name of the Son of God, people who already believe. And so then John, 1 John 5, 13 through 15, our text for the morning is not an evangelistic text, meaning it's not supposed to go out and reach people who are far from God and bring them near to God, though it can certainly have that effect. It is designed, and its aim is to encourage the believers Remember that this book is probably written to a people who are around this concept of Gnosticism, spelled with a G, meaning there's some kind of a secret knowledge, and they need to get beyond the, the baseline understanding and get to this group's secret knowledge that can be unlocked through philosophies. Of course, Scripture would tell us that that's vanity. Scripture would tell us that all we need for life and godliness is found in the 66 books of, of Holy Word. And so there is no secret knowledge that we need where we can become closer to God. This is all that we need for life and for godliness, for reproof, for doctrine, for training in righteousness is the word that God's given us. And praise him for that. Because if not, we would have to be able to divide between so many philosophies, we wouldn't even know what was heresy. We wouldn't even really know how to worship God unless he had given us a closed canon, unless he had given us his word that was all that we needed. Because how much is the, does the world generate and create and try to hand to us, whether it be in the name of God or in the name of some other God? And so having his full counsel available to us is an incredible blessing. Everything would be so much more confusing if we didn't have that. And so the aim here is not to excite the ungodly to salvation. The aim here is to encourage these people that he's writing to who are being People are trying to convince them that there's some other knowledge that they need. 1 John 2.19, they're encouraged. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. This is wrapped up in the epistle. This is wrapped up in the letter that John is writing to this group of believers against 
uh, people from within their own number. And scripture reminds us time and time and time again that heresies and, and false teachers and all of these kinds of things come from within our own number oftentimes. And so he's encouraging them that people have gone out from them that were really never of the church, that were really never in Christ. And so as those people now who are outside of the family of believers are trying to influence the believers, he's telling them they were never of you. They're not in Christ. And so these kinds of passages like chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 that are directed at the believers then are not directed towards those people. John writes to those who believe and who are found in Christ so that they can know that they have eternal life. And one commentator put it something like this. If you can know that you have eternal life, you also should know. If you can know that you have eternal life, also then you should know. What does that mean? Meaning, if, if Scripture puts tests and ways and methods and manners of knowing that you're found in Christ, the gravity of being found in Christ or not found in Christ is so severe that you should want to know. In fact, you should know if you're in Christ. You should explore those texts. That's why Scripture tells us to test all things to see whether they're so. We shouldn't be concerned at looking to our lives for fruit or going to our fellow believers and say, hey, are you seeing fruit in my life? Do you, what, are you seeing change in me? Because sometimes we can feel stagnant and not see that in ourselves and our fellow believers can be helpful. John continues in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so I would submit that that's a very plain teaching on how God treats prayer. And generally speaking, we're better to start from texts that are more plain and then use those to understand perhaps texts that are less plain. And so this is, is very, very descriptive. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So really what John is giving us is a very encouraging outflow from the truth that he talked about in verse 13, which is if you're found in Christ, if you have a testimony in Christ and you're rejoined to God, the outflow of that is verse 14, that we have this confidence towards him, knowing that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We've heard similar statements from John and being confident in prayer at least two other times. 1 John 2.28 and 1 John 4.17. We read in 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. In a similar way, the confidence in verse 14 stems from our assurance. And so then we can be sure that our prayers will be heard. That if we who are found 
joined to God, found in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of God living in us, we can be sure that when we pray, our prayers are heard. They don't fall on deaf ears to those who are God's children. So we know from Scripture that our prayers are subject to our position before God, meaning that we're time-bound, we're creatures. We only know what we know. God is omniscient. He, he knows everything. He stands outside of time. He knows, um, he knows the eternal truth. He knows the past. He knows our present in time, and he knows the future. And so when our prayers from being found in time go out to an all-knowing God who's outside of time, he treats them according to the counsel of his will. He doesn't, he doesn't grant us our prayers just because we asked for them, knowing that, so, that that's going to set off something terrible, right? It's all according to the counsel of his will, which is great. I mean, how, what a terrible thing. What a terrifying thing to pray for things, knowing God would just, his hands were bound and he would have to grant you all the things that you asked for. Could you imagine what this world must look like or would look like if that was the case? Whose kid would ever win a sports ball game? Because both sides would be praying. How would that even stand up? Jesus in Matthew 26 and verse 39 prays. Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face praying, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. What an interesting statement, right? God is all-powerful. He can do anything. Make a mountain without a valley in between, perhaps, or a rock too heavy for himself to lift. Of course, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, he's not an author of confusion. He's a God of order. And so he does not violate his own character. He does not violate his own nature. He does not violate his own will. And so Jesus, when Jesus prays, saying, if it be possible... He's not praying, asking God, hey, if you're capable of this thing, please do it for me. Jesus is praying according to the will of God, which sandwiches this statement. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me, but not as I will, as you will. What, what was the cup? The cup was the, the, the fullness of the divine wrath against the elect who would be saved. God's wrath poured out in measured reaction to the sins of the elect. Jesus did not desire that willingly. He didn't like, want it to fall on him. If there was some other way, let it pass. But there was no other way because this was according to the counsel of God's will from eternity past. And so that prayer was heard but not granted. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then he is strong. This posturing, this position, is trusting God completely to hear our prayers and knowing that he will grant according to his will. It's such a restful place to be, to know that you have placed bare in front of God all of your requests, made them known, nothing hidden. You're not reserving anything back. You're being freely open with God. Trusting God to hear our prayers opens us up to praying because we know the boundaries of God in prayer, and that's encouraging. It's also encouraging to know, I mean, consider the prayer of Paul in 2 Corinthians, praying that this thorn be removed from his side. And then in the end, trusting that he would be content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Where do you hear that today? So much of of what we hear from Christendom, from, from the big Eva circus tent of today, is all about praying to God so that you get gifts and things and stuff and a better position in life and a better job and every day becomes like Friday. Rather, we should trust God with our prayers and then trust Him with the faithful outcome of our prayers. When He doesn't grant us our prayers, then that's likely a blessing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now consider Jeremiah 29. I'll read from verses 11 through 13. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you have this t-shirt. Maybe you have some eye black with this stamped in it. Maybe you have the coffee cup. Maybe you heard it on Caleb. It's positive and it's encouraging. And they want to hear a silly story about your cat, if you want to call them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Is that a blueprint for your life? Is that to you? Does that mean that God's plans for you are welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope and that if you pray he'll hear you and if you seek him you'll find him and if you seek with all your heart I I would say if you're Jeremiah it does mean those things are true alas you are not Jeremiah in his ministry was a young man you see in chapter 1 and verse 6 His ministry was probably not something that you would desire for. It was tough. Went through very difficult and trying times. In verse 8 of chapter 1, you see his family turn on him. You see that he was whipped and placed in prison. 
He was jumped by a mob of people. You see him threatened by very order of the king. You see him arrested and beaten, accused and jailed, alone, not permitted to marry. And so he hears from God in chapter 29 of the book named for him. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. In chapter 15, we see Jeremiah crying out, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Verse 18, why is my pain unceasing and my wound uncurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? And so Jeremiah is explicitly encouraged by God amid a very rough time. God encourages him that what felt like a purposeless Life of suffering wasn't purposeless. And we see an enduring principle in this passage, and that is that God is not detached from our lives. He is not detached. He is not disinterested. And the graceful truth here that comes out of this means that any suffering that is allowed to befall you is not random happenstance. God is allowing it and using it. And that is so much more meaningful than to think that the suffering of my life is just circumstance, just happen to happen, bummer for you. Psalms and Psalm 115 verse 3 encourages us. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand, it is to make great and give strength to all. We also have counsel from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So similar then to Jeremiah, we can know that God's will in and through our lives is being accomplished. 
We can know because by testing, we can know that we're joined to God. We can know if we have a testimony and fruit of the Spirit of God that's in us. We can know if we're found in Christ. We can know if we've turned from trusting ourselves to turn to trusting God in Christ. If we've been a repentant believer, we can see the fruit of the testimony of a life following after Christ. That's the encouragement of John, is for us to look for that and to see that and to abide in Christ. To be assured of our position before God, our eternal life, and trust then that He hears our prayers. He's not disinterested. He's not detached. Verse 15 of chapter 5. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. That sounds bold. We know that if we ask in line with the will of God, He will grant us His will. He's not bound through some magic formula and some trap of logic to give you whatever you want. He will answer your prayers in the accordance of His will. And praise God for that. If he did something outside of his will, if he is faithful and true and just, that would be terrible for us. Like Paul, who prayed for the removal of the thorn of the flesh, when that circumstance for us doesn't change, when we've taken that request and We've made it known before God when the circumstance doesn't change or the thing we wanted doesn't come to us or the issue or the problem isn't removed from us, then we know that it's not aligned with God's good and perfect will because we know that our prayers are heard and we know that if they're in line with His will, that is what will be delivered for us. And so then we trust that He is in the circumstance that He is allowed to persist. Because we've seen God across Scripture, His perfect character described time and time again. We see His plan on people's lives like Jeremiah and like Paul that we looked at. We see His faithfulness in Abraham and in Joseph. I mean, think about these. These are, these are real stories of people's lives. And you see God's faithfulness running through these circumstances. We see and understand more about who we are before God as we read the book of Hosea. And if you have trouble plugging yourself into the story of Hosea, like where do you fall? I can help you understand who you are in that story. We see the, the truth of what this life is in the Scriptures. We understand that everything that feels so important as we read Ecclesiastes is truly just vanity. And we see the consistent word of God in this life. Job chapter 14 verse 1 says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. That's helpful because of how true it is. I'll tell you that the, the scriptures are the truest account of what it is to be a person you'll ever read. 
And the book of Job is incredibly helpful, especially if you don't read the section in, I believe it's chapter 2, with the, the counsel between God and Satan, and you read without reading that, that would be the perspective that Job would have, most upright man in the land of Oz. And then one day his servants came to tell him that all his children and his possessions and everything had been crushed and killed. Job didn't know that there was something else going on, that God was acting in time, that this wasn't about some secret sin like his friends, Eliphaz and Jophaz would say, that this wasn't even really necessarily about him at all. Man is born of a woman. Few of days and full of trouble. Psalm 39, 5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my life is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Think about how many breaths you've taken as you sat here. One of the most wonderful evidences of, of God is every night when you go to bed and you close your eyes and you pretend to be asleep so that you can fall asleep and your body shuts your mind down and you go to sleep and somehow your lungs just keep expanding and pulling in air and contracting and pushing out air and your heart keeps beating and your body keeps creating electricity for your brain to run on. Figure that out. No strip mining nickel needed. No mass grave full of dead batteries in the name of green. Your body just runs because God does that. You have nothing to do with it. You're in no control over that. And you're also in no control over when it stops. When God's done with it, it's done. Psalm 144 and verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. Winter time has passed, praise the Lord. But if you go downtown Harrisburg, where in the infinite wisdom of the city, they charge everyone for steam like it's 1842, and you look at the manhole covers as cabs and cars drive by, you see the steam shoot up out of the holes of those things. And as a car goes, it kind of pulls some of that steam and just fades. That's how scripture des describes our lives doesn't mean they're insignificant. They're incredibly significant. Um, Christ came to redeem us because we're more than just this life. But this life as we understand it on earth is a vapor. It's fleeting. It's as quick as a breath. And then to be absent from the body is to be present with God. What a blessing. I hear songs that talk about not being ready to leave this place. And I'm so confounded. Really? You're not ready to leave this? This place groans under the strains of sin. This place is awful. Like your eyes must be closed if you think you want to stay here. This is terrible. I long for the day that God brings me home. Proverbs 27.1 Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Isaiah 38.12 My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver. I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. First Peter 24, for all flesh is like grass 
and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers and the flower falls. James 4.14 Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. What is your great, great grandfather's name? What did he like to eat? You have no idea. Just faded. Yet God knows every hair on his head. Our lives are not insignificant. They're incredibly significant. They're just brief. And the end game of this life is not stuff, possessions, and blessings. That is fleeting. That is the kinds of things that you store up where moth and rust destroy. Our lives are about being joined to God. And when we become joined to God, living faithfully in a way such that we're a living testimony so that the dying world around us can come to know a saving, loving, awesome God who's holy and who has a requirement for sin because all living people hate Him. They love the darkness more than the light. And I understand that that is difficult to believe that I'm saying that, but when I was an um, excited Bible student who was, of course, also a Greek scholar, I talked about the, the Greek words for love, and there is one word that's reserved only for God. And I remember talking about that in a class one time, and one of the, one of the students who changed my life in a great way forever said, that sounds great, except it isn't true. Because there's one instance where that word that talks about the impassioned love of God is used for people, and it's John 3.19. that says that we loved in a way that's generally reserved only for the love of God. We love the darkness more than the light. That's why the scriptures say that none seeks after God. No, not one. It's not a hard math problem. No one seeks after God. And so when they do, it's a miracle of God that he has found someone in Christ. And so then we should be faithful with our lives to put the gospel of Jesus Christ before every living, breathing soul. Again, James 4.14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So why read all those texts that talk about our short, brief lives that can be rolled up, cut off from a loom, that are like the flower that falls from the grass or that withers? Because it helps us to see that God is timeless and perfect and holy and loving and awesome. And that's important because we are godless, fleeting, Wicked and self-centered. All that said, if I bring my prayer to God, I can rest knowing that he will grant what's in accordance with his will. And where he doesn't give answer to my prayer, where he doesn't give me the thing or the situation that I'm praying for, I can rest knowing that I have been heard by my timeless, perfect, holy, loving awesome God who withheld my desire and I trust him with that way more than myself. 
Because he is the God that revealed to Jeremiah the truth of what he was doing in his life. He was the God who revealed to Abraham his plan. He is the God who allowed the story of Potiphar and Joseph to be used to bring to many restored relationship. He is the God who relieved the Israelites from captivity, walking them by fire and by a pillar of smoke up to the edge of a body of water when everyone just said, this, this is enough. We've been brought here to die. And then did the impossible by parting the water and drying the land so that they could pass through and then closing that water and drowning an entire nation's army to show his faithfulness and his power. I trust him over my desires for situations and things. And that's what we saw in Paul. He would boast in his weakness and his trust that his prayer had been brought before God. And just like John reveals in 1 John, he knew that his prayer was heard because he's found in Christ. And if that thing didn't come to become his possession or his situation, he trusts that God was working in that. And that's the kind of iron that we need in our guts. No soft Christianity. Trust of a sovereign, holy, righteous God who's faithful and true, who does not change his mind. He's not like us. He does not change his mind. He's not like a man. He is holy and we are fallen. He is love. We are not. He is timeless and eternal. We have an expiration date on this earth. In the end game of this life, is nothing but a question of union to and submission to God. And so then, the confidence found in our standing before God in Christ is the bedrock of our confident prayers. We pray because we're found in Christ. We pray because we believe God is sovereign. If we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, meaning his unrestrained power to do whatever he wills, why would we ever pray for someone's salvation? If, if we do not believe in the sovereignty of God, you should stop praying for someone's salvation and you better get to work because their very life teeters on your effort. However, if we do believe in a sovereign God, if we do believe that we're found in Christ, if we do believe that the believer's prayers are heard, we should pray and then trust God with the works and the opportunities that he's put before us to be faithful in sharing of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. That's what John's encouraging us to, is that salvation is real. God is real. He's sovereign and he's powerful. We should rest completely in that, trusting him with our everything, including the outcomes of the prayers, even the ones that he does not grant us. And so we should be faithful to bring them all. And then over time, we'll be conformed to God's will and Christ's image as we bring prayers and we see what is granted, as we read the scriptures, as we experience him in this life, we become more and more like Jesus himself. Join me and let's pray. God, Thank you that you've given us this word that protects us from idol worship. God, that protects us from bringing in wrong understanding. God, we are safe in your word. And we're so thankful that you've given it to us. And so for us as a church, God, I pray that we be focused on truth from your word. I pray that we be found in your son. I pray that we have the spirit of God dwelling in and among us. 
that we come to be excited to know what, what are the giftings, the spiritual giftings that you give us for a more healthfully functioning body. God, if there would be anyone who perhaps for the first time has heard or understood your gospel, which is that Jesus came and lived perfectly in all ways like us, yet without sin, and that, God, your plan from eternity was to punish the sins of the elect on your son Christ and then to gift your spirit as a helper helper who would be in every believer if they are hearing that from the first time and ready to repent of sin, turn from trusting themselves and turn to trusting Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that they would pray that way this morning. And that God, you would be, that you would give us an opportunity to be faithful disciples to that person. God, we thank you for your word and its truth. We pray that it goes forward and accomplishes its purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us while we worship this song. <clears throat>